Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. This is another box. Goodness gracious. <laughs> it's Wes. Oh, it's multiple. We got a little soccer balls. Oh! We got rugby balls. We got the basketball. And Walker. These guys are happy stuffed balls is what they are. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. Good Lord. That's going to be a drop. We have. It's the sound you've waited months to hear. It's caused some of your greatest triumphs. Underneath Lattimore, touchdown, South Carolina. And your biggest heartbreaks. What a hit! Ball's free! On the ground! South Carolina! Cloudy just says, I'll take care of business right here. It's the option at Georgia Tech. It's Howard's Rock. The smoke in Miami. What a start for the Gamecocks! And every Saturday, you tap that sign. The wait is over. College football is here. We're back on the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Team week, it carries on. We talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks in 2023 predictions for their season. Hit us up on the text line 704-570-9610. Let's get right into it. First quarter of the schedule. Walk, I'll let you start it last time. I'm going to start it off this time. All righty. I've got the Gamecocks going two and two. Obviously, I picked North Carolina in our previous segment to beat them. So that's a nail for them. Furman. They'll get the win there. I think that's safe to say. Georgia Bulldogs on the road between the hedges. Come on now. We already know what that's going to look like. 3.30 matchup on CBS. That's an L. Mississippi State at home. I've got them getting the dub starting the season two and two. Two and two for South Carolina. Actually, worse record than you had with North Carolina at the beginning. I'm surprised. Yeah, I... I would love to do the thing that I've been doing this entire time and actually just like pick everybody to win and then pick South Carolina to beat North Carolina just an hour after I picked North Carolina to beat South Carolina. Yeah. But it can't happen that way. I got to actually just for one day. I got to have it all mathematically be correct. Yes. So I'll have South Carolina lose this one. Sure. It's really hard, though. Uh, this one, it says tough a game just going in week one. A lot of unknowns. It's going to it's gonna be very interesting. I have South Carolina losing. I have them bouncing back against Furman the second week, of course, one and one to start. And then I have them losing to Georgia. So it makes sense, right? Two and two. It, Georgia's going to be so tough. They've pulled off upsets against Georgia before. They have. Not even all that long I ago. I was that one way back when. So, so they've done it before. 
in Georgia? No, nah, I can't see it happening, even at the beginning portion of the season where the Bulldogs might be trying to figure some stuff out as they transition, but we've seen them reload before. I expect them to do it again. I'm with you, Wes. Two and two. They lose to North Carolina. They beat Furman. They lose to Georgia. They beat Mississippi State, and it's not like that schedule gets any easier. Welcome to life in the SEC. All right, so now when we go to the second quarter of the schedule at Tennessee and Knoxville, I think they take an L. Against the Florida Gators at home. Again, we talked about Graham Mertz at quarterback. Not sure I'm feeling him too much. Yes, South Carolina has a lot of holes to fill on defense, but I think at home they should be able to take care of business against the Gators, who I don't think will be uh, better than South Carolina. Then they go on the road to Missouri. Just of how I feel about Eli Drinkwitz, I'm giving them the win there. Okay, I think they go to Missouri. Plus, Missouri's not that fantastic, so I've got them winning there. And then going to Texas A&M, this is an intriguing squad. A lot of the people wonder, are they going to be able to finally get on track under Jimbo Fisher? Maybe this year because they're being uh, put down lower. They're starting the season 23rd and not with lofty expectations that maybe they can go in reverse. But in this case, I think they beat the South Carolina Gamecocks. I've got them 2-2 two and two through this juncture yeah, of the schedule. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. Look, South Carolina has enough in my opinion, to be able to pull off an upset, okay? And so it's really tough to try to figure out where it's going to happen. North Carolina, I guess the line, what's the line on that game? It's like three and a half North Carolina favor. Is that right, Fitty? I think it was two and a half okay. the last I saw. It's been moving a little bit, but I've seen it at right around a field goal with North Carolina the favorite. It's not really an underdog loss, though, in my opinion. So it's just kind of a 50-50. Then you go to Georgia and Tennessee. Tennessee and Georgia both going to be the favorites, but I could see South Carolina going to Tennessee, especially a little bit earlier into the season and beating them, but I don't have enough guts to call it. I love Joe Milton. I, I mean, I can't wait. I want him with all of the arm strength. I want him to perform to his ceiling. It would be so fun. I think Tennessee in that offense, even changing quarterbacks, I think they win. Give me Tennessee to start it off and South Carolina to fall to a two and three record. I think they beat Florida. Don't have any faith. Don't have any faith in Florida. So give me South Carolina to beat the Gators. Sorry, Willie P. Even on the road and despite some good football from Missouri recently, I think South Carolina wins that game on the road. And you know what? Even against Texas A&M, give me the Gamecocks in that game as well. I think South Carolina is going to be able to win that game. Texas A&M, this is what we do, right? Well, like, no, is we that think, game in Columbia or is it in no, College, it's it's in in College Station. Station? It's in College Station. What do we do with That's South That's why I picked Texas A&M. Yeah, App State. Got to beat, like Texas A&M, we've done this with Jimbo Fisher a couple of times now. This is going to be the year. In fact, there's a lot of pressure for Jimbo. Maybe you view that as this is the time they figure it all out. But the coaching staff is hilarious that they have. Bobby Petrino, Steve Adazio, Durkin. It's like the all, ooh, you're a little dirty coaching staff squad. (laughs) So there's so much pressure there right now. And I think they have too many cooks in the kitchen. Like we know Jimbo Fisher wants to control his team. But now you got so many other head coaches that also love to control their team. I ain't buying it with A&M. I think South Carolina, they go 3-1 and to move to what is a 5 and three record in the first two thirds of the season. But you're not feeling that you had a, you had a uh, stank face for well, me. Well, no, I mean, I just, they've only beaten A&M once since A&M joined the SEC. And I think that was, was it last year? I believe is when it happened. So, you know, and then, I mean, like I, I may, because of Johnny Manziel, I've always been an A&M defender. 
So like, and it's hard to it's it's, it's hard to go there and win. Uh huh. And so like that's why I was just pushing back. If the game was in Columbia, I would probably say I'm with you. Same way. But you know, them going there, it's 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 a really difficult place to win. It is. Um, and look, even David Hale in his rankings, he says he there Texas A&M is in tier four. Forget everything you saw last season. There's five teams in that category. Florida and A&M are in that category, two of which South Carolina plays. I can't. I can't forget it. I'm sorry, David. I'm going South Carolina for both of those victories. All right. And so we get to the bottom end of the schedule. Jacksonville State. I mean, come on now. We think they should be able to get that done. Vanderbilt. Think they should be able to get that done at home. Kentucky, no more Will Levis. I do like what Mark Stoops is doing for that program, but I think at home they have a very advantageous schedule to end the season. Kentucky, I've got them winning that one. And then, of course, if you remember before, when I talked about Clemson season, I have South Carolina beating them at South Carolina. So I have them finishing the season 4-0 and to finish 8-4 and on the year. Yeah, I have them beating Jacksonville State. I have them beating Vanderbilt. Now, Kentucky, this is the biggest opponent that they struggle with, right? Like, doesn't Kentucky have an excellent record against South Carolina? I think that historically has been going to the Wildcats, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. But Kentucky is going to be the one that's really hard. And so... I think Kentucky might be one of the games that they miss uh, miss out on at the end of the season. So that one's tough. Yeah, coming into last season, South Carolina leads the all-time series 19-14-1. And, and that was coming into last season. I wonder if that has changed recently or whatever. Kentucky's tough. God. I have them losing. Even if, it has, even if it's at home. And I have them losing two straight at home. Kentucky-Clemson. I think Clemson's going to win that game. I don't think South Carolina gets it done two years in a row. So at that point, I would have them go seven and five, going bowling, okay. but seven and five record for South Carolina. All right, eight and four. Very and mistaken on them. Kentucky. So I guess it's the opposite. Okay, yeah, so it's it might 19, be the opposite. Yeah, 19-14. They beat them last year, so they're twenty fourteen and one all time versus Kentucky. Gotcha. But, but since twenty fourteen, Kentucky is seven and two against the Gamecocks. Thank you. I knew there was something like that. Okay, that's what I thought. I think South Carolina. It's I've got Kentucky winning. But I, th- I thought that was uh, that it was Kentucky that would beat South Carolina quite a bit here recently. What do you think is the key game on this schedule, though, when you when you look at it? What's the game you feel like they could make or break this season, especially at 7-5 and five for you? So there are definitely some games yeah. in there that are huge. Well, I, mean, I think that Texas A&M game, when you look at that, I think that's a – that's a biggie, especially according to how you have it going. Well, I mean, SEC, there's going to be – there's a, so many to choose from, right? So you have three out of four games on the road in the middle portion of your season. It starts with Tennessee on the road, Florida at home, and then Missouri and Texas A&M on the road with Missouri doing some nice things. Remember, they took Georgia to the finish line last year, and then even Texas A&M, if we are supposed to forget everything we saw, we know at least they'll have some talent and they have a coach that's done it before. You could honestly make your pick there. I like the Texas A&M game to be a real pivotal moment. And then we can even get to that Wildcat game. I had such a hard time deciding. You have Clemson a week after that game. So if you're talking about even with what is a tough SEC, Kentucky, you're going to be bowl eligible, in my opinion, already with Jacksonville State and Vanderbilt to provide a nice cushion for you before you get to Kentucky. But still, 
you want to end on a high note, and it would be tough to lose two straight games to end your regular season. So I even think Kentucky is going to be a pivotal one before you reach the rivalry contest against Clemson. Yeah, I look at the the second portion of that schedule is the one where I'm looking at how much of a pound of flesh will be taken from you uh, during that stretch. Because when you look at it, you go Tennessee, Florida, coming off the heels of playing Georgia, Mississippi State. Uh, then you have to go Tennessee, Florida, Missouri, Texas A&M, both of those games on the road. And then, in fact, Tennessee is on the road as well. You know, the SEC, very, very physical football conference. So I'm just looking at that that second stretch of games from Tennessee to Texas A&M. That's going to be huge for them because I feel like the Florida game and the Missouri game are going to be a huge games for them in the grand scheme of things as far as the games that they need to get. Uh, we talked about their recent lack of success against Kentucky. Clemson also, that's a 50-50 game, even though I've got South Carolina getting that one. But I think that Florida-Missouri stretch, Texas A&M, that's going to be a yeah. huge, huge... The middle, right. It, it's yeah. right there and there and then. And, and you talk about South Carolina for me, Wes. I think that was the hardest one to get a grip on with this entire schedule because it's so tough. You mentioned Clemson being 50-50. I actually think that's one of the easier games for me to choose. Not that South Carolina is bad, but I feel good about what Clemson's going to do. I thought there were a lot of other 50-50 games. Like, I, I just, you know, I kind of passed over Florida despite having a change at QB. Anthony Richardson, despite the prospect, not being great last year. A&M, we've discussed them. I, there are so many 50-50 games right there. It's tough. I mean, even they start off with one. North Carolina did. South Carolina, obviously, those two teams playing against one another. That one's a really tough game to call. So this schedule was the hardest one for me to choose this entire team week session. Yeah, no doubt about it. And when we come back, we go back to the Carolina Panthers. What's going to be the toughest matchup for Carolina in week one? That and a whole lot more on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. That's it, Wes. No more Team Week predictions. I know, man. We did feed the people, though. That was a good idea. It was. I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad I came up with it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is why... This is why you and I borderline fight almost every day. You know, you just... I mean, the ego of one Walker Gunderson male. Yeah, it's it's something that uh, it's it's really hard to deal with. It's it's why I drink. Um, 
<laughs> God bless you, Fitty. It was your idea. I told you a million times. I thought it was a great one. And we're done with the journey. We got a couple of guests tomorrow. Guests. I'll use air quotes again. Another one of my ideas was bringing on Flounder. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. I lied again. That was Fitty's idea as well. But Flounder, I think, will be joining us to talk about Carolina football. Maybe just one more time before we get to the weekend. And then also Gene Sapikoff will be joining us at 1.30 tomorrow to talk about South Carolina football. And then it'll be done. So Team Week, that was a lot of fun for us to go down every single week. And I'll tell you this, too. It made me more excited for college football season which was the goal for the listeners. But you know what? It worked on me as well. I'm excited about college football season this year. That's what's up, man. We're glad we got you uh, into the spirit of the season. More so than usual for me. We're going to bring it back for college basketball, right? I was thinking about this, though. Yeah. Because, you know, there's there's you know way more basketball teams. I thought we would focus on the teams that people really care about. The Tar Heels, the Blue Devils, and NC State. And Charlotte. And that'll be it. That'll be about it, right? Charlotte. Did you catch any of that? I did. <laughs> I caught everything y'all said. What did he say? I thought you and Fitty were having a conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. We were talking about doing the team weeks for basketball. No, um, there's one thing. I'm just asking if you caught the shade from Fitty. <laughs> you didn't hear the shade, did you? I, I mean, no, I did not pick up on that. <laughs> okay. He left out Wake Forest as a uh, intentionally with the teams that people care about. That's why I was asking. I wasn't trying to catch you. I well, just was like, I mean, when you, you look the at the, the viewership, uh, they showed the viewership numbers for uh, Wake Forest up against the other schools. And I'm not I think it was just football, but I know that uh, it was second to I think it was second to Carolina, I think. But overall, the rest oh. of the ACC schools that are in the state. You might have been able to go at him if it was not North Carolina that was number one. <laughs> I think it was. I'm not sure. I got to pull up that All graphic right. and look. Nah, right. man, I was giving you a hard time. I yeah, hope, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I love Steve Forbes. Hopefully, this is the year he right. gets your deeks in uh, the Well, let me just say. Uh-oh. Okay? You know, I like to go to a little bit of sources. I got my guy at Wake Forest. And okay. he keeps it a buck with me. Mm-hmm. And he tells me if I ask him about a team and he goes to a different topic, then I know it's not good. Okay. If I say, you know, what do you think about the basketball? What do you think about football? He's like, well, the weather's outside is good today. It's, it's very pretty. Well, I asked him about Wake Forest basketball a couple of months ago. And he said that, uh, yeah, they're like that. He said that they probably have about eight pros on that team. He said Forbes is super excited about the squad. He said Forbes walked over there to them when they were watching practice and said, yeah, I got me some guys now. So he said that Wake has about eight pros on that team. And he said, well, you watch them scrimmage. He said it was pretty serious. He said they got some some guys on that team. So just you heard it here first. Look out for these deeks. And I asked him specifically about an ACC finish. He said we're talking top two, three. Okay. So uh, eight take pros. it for how you want. Eight pros will do it. <laughs> take it how you want. <laughs> That's just what I heard. I heard the Deeks got a, as, as Shannon Sharp would say, a stanker. Scale. Scale. Yeah, a stanker. <laughs> I heard they got a stanker up there in Winston-Salem. Yeah, that sounds bad, honestly. I kind of like it. It's both bad I'll and good. I'll take a stanker. All right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to It's stanker. All right. It's Steve Ford. I hope we have him on and say, Steve, I heard you got a stanker down there at Winston-Salem. <laughs> yeah. What? He probably knows. Steve's kind of country. He lived in Charleston you know what a they, while. You know what they call their head coach? No, Stanker Steve. Yeah. Coaching that team. Let's get it. Coach the Deeks. Okay. Oh, they say, yeah, they Steve. think I'm embellishing, but okay. Move over, Stanky Pete. Is this guy related to Scuba Steve from Big Daddy? Um, No, I was actually going to. I was going to actually ask if he was related to Stinky Pete 
on Toy Story. The bad guy, though. God, I hated Stinky Pete in Toy uh, Story, too. How could you not? Stay in your box. Stay in your box, Pete. Okay, nobody wants to play with you. And that's why you're shipped off to a museum for everybody to look at, tap on the glass, make your life hell, and you don't get to play with Andy anymore. <laughs> Screw you, Stinky Pete. 704-570-9610. You can feel free to text in on maybe a team week inquiry if you want to start us uh, talking about team weeks in college basketball or if you want to hear us talk a little more about the Carolina Panthers, which is what we'll do here. I wanted to bring this in with more Fitterer talk because here we are talking about the draft history. With Fitterer, I think everybody has tried to figure out the line and the divide between Fitterer and Matt Rule. Fitterer gets the benefit of the doubt. Rule does not. Scott Fitterer talked about that a little bit today. Scott Fowler asks uh, Fitterer if it felt like a cleansing of the Matt Rule era, guys. And Fitterer quickly defended Matt Rule and said, no, that's not fair to Matt. We were all doing this. I thought that was really accountable of him. said, nope, we were all here making those choices. We were all the scouting department, all of us, when we make a decision, we make it as a team. And that's not fair to Matt. He said those exact words. But in reality, we know Matt Rule had 51% control. If there was a 50-50 decision to be made, that, made got, that got bumped up for Matt Rule. And he is the one that had final say over the roster. Fact of the matter is, you're talking about two five-win seasons in the full years Matt Rule coached with this team and only one win to speak of before he got fired midseason. In those three years, you're talking about two different GMs. Marty Herney, the first season, Scott Fitterer, the last, what, 20 games or so that he coached. So there is a common thread. And the common thread is the guy that had 51% control. I am one that gives Scott Fitterer a little more of that benefit of the doubt that we like to discuss because it's tough to figure out exactly where the divide is. I don't know how much you can tell. There were some traits that I think Matt Rule brought to the table. Baylor guys, guys that he was familiar with, probably a Matt Rule thing. If they draft Bravion Roy, it's probably a Matt Rule thing. I think discerning minds can come to that conclusion. If you talk about athletic traits, I think that one's a little more tough to dissect. Matt Rule talked about how much he liked drafting athletic traits later in the draft, and Fitterer never had any problem with it, it doesn't seem. So that one's a little tough. But Fitterer with the pressure, I, Colin talked about this. The only thing that matters is if you get Bryce Young right now, okay? I don't think there's a lot of pressure for this season. But year two, year three of Bryce Young's tenure, that's when the pressure really starts to dial up, depending on what they do. I agree with you 100%. I do think people, though, have pretty – I think for the most part, the Panthers fan base feels like with this division being in flux until we get answers as to how this division looks, how good is Atlanta going to be? Is Desmond Ritter going to be the guy? Is Atlanta going to have to draft the quarterback? New Orleans, how good will they be with Derek Carr? And then Tampa Bay, a lot of people expect them to be bad as well. We know there's a chance they could surprise, but I think that's the big thing, too, when you talk about expectations is how good does the rest of this division look? Because I think the expectations are fairly high because of this division. I think a lot of people in Carolina's fan base feel this division is here for the taking, especially if they don't believe in the Saints. They think that if Bryce Young can come through and, and, and be pretty good and, and have a really, really good rookie season and this offensive line shores up, et cetera, et cetera, and Evero does to this defense what a lot of people think that he can, then I think the expectations are there for year one. But you're right, year two and year three, they'll ramp up even more. These two games are important right off the bat. 
on the road against Atlanta, at home against New Orleans, on a prime time Monday night. You're talking about some big old contest in uh, the division right then and there. I was listening to the Mina Kimes podcast. I talked about that a little bit earlier. Mina and Mike Golick Jr. had a team draft, and you get points based off of one win, divisional wins, right? Postseason victories, Super Bowl. You get the idea. The idea is to pick division winners and playoff appearances and playoff wins, right? New Orleans and Atlanta were both drafted before Carolina was. Didn't even hear Carolina get drafted. But I heard New Orleans, and a lot of people are high on Atlanta because of Arthur Smith as a play caller and the weapons that he has around him. Not too many people are high on Desmond Ritter, but they're giving him a shot because you drafted B. John Robinson, who you and I both agreed is a flat-out stud. Very good. I love Drake London in the pre-draft process. Still love Kyle Pitts. So you have a lot of weapons to work with, and Wes, their offensive line is good. Every You believe in everything offensively they have. Play caller, offensive line, skill position guys. You believe in everything they have except the quarterback, which is a big deal. And if you don't believe in Desmond Ritter, then that's going to bring them really close to Carolina, even if they have a lot better tight end talent-wise. A lot better wide receiver, Drake London over whoever you have number one here, right? The quarterback's going to bring you close to it. I ask you, what do you think is the more important matchup? What do you think is going to tell us the most about Carolina? Will it be against a team like Atlanta or a team against New Orleans, a game like uh, an opponent like New Orleans, who you do think is going to win the division after it's all said and done? Woo, man, that is a very, very good question. But I think Atlanta being on the road, being the first game, I think if Carolina loses that game with the way most division rivalries go, a lot of times they split when they're of equal ilk. That's what I think at least. So I think on the road, a lot of times too, when you talk about teams of equal ilk, splitting matchups, you normally go home and home. So, okay, if they lose to Atlanta, a lot of people will be like, okay, get them back when they come to Carolina. But I think when you come home, that primetime matchup against New Orleans, a team a team that a lot of people are picking to win the division, I think that's the matchup you kind of look at a little bit more. You get the first week out of the way, uh, whether you win or lose that one, you start to kind of establish a little bit of an identity, but you come home to take on New Orleans in a matchup at home because, you know, if you don't win that one, yeah, you could still split and go to New Orleans and get that win. But it's going to be much more difficult, especially if New Orleans ends up being a really good team. It's going to be a lot harder to go in down the stretch on December 10th and get that win in the Bayou. Yeah, I think when you look at both of these teams, I honestly don't think you're going to be able to tell what this team is truly going to do when just those first two games, because it's going to be really hard. And I heard Greg Olson mention this on Mac and Bone. You might like the NFC South start to the season because it's peak uncertainty. There is no film to go off of, not from what the quarterback did in a different regime last year because you have a rookie, not with what Frank Reich did with this team last year because he was coaching a different team. Maybe not even what Frank Reich did with the Colts because he only coached five games. So it's really tough. Averro, maybe there's a little more to learn because of what he did with Denver. I think there are some similarities in talent. Sertan, J.C. Horn is the easiest one to make because of, one, they were drafted one player apart. They're both good corners. It's all about J.C. Horn staying healthy. And pass rusher, you have a better one now than I think you did in Denver at all with Brian Burns. There's not another edge rusher I think you'd put on par with him, especially after they traded away Bradley Chubb. Either way, it's peak uncertainty. So I think it's going to be really hard to try to judge what you get. Wes, I think it's just going to be, you have potential for this squad to be a real second-half team. 
There's so much new. Avero's trying to figure stuff out. Bryce Young is as well. Frank Reich is. So, no, you can't have a ton of time because the NFL it happens so fast. If you really want to try to make a run at the postseason, of course you need to tally up as many wins as possible. Hello, especially against two NFC South teams that you face at the beginning of the year. But this has not typically been a second-half team. They were last year, but that's because they got a new coach. And he changed the culture completely. Thank God for that. And you actually had something to pull for at the end of the season. But Rivera's last couple of seasons, Matt Rule, man, we've had a lot of second-half suffering outside of last year in this city. I hope, and I say this every offseason, different context this year, though. I hope that this is a second-half team and that you finish with a better record in the second half than you do having started the first eight, seven games, nine games, whatever, because that means that they're getting better, and that means that they're setting the foundation up for what could be a real run at the postseason to where maybe even win a postseason game in year two of the Bryce Young era. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that uh, they have a chance to be a second-half team because of all of the new, all of the new on the coaching staff, the new quarterback, different things like that, a lot of the new pieces. So I think it could maybe take them some time to get it off the ground and up and running properly. And I think over the second half of the season, second half of the season, uh, you know, Bryce Young will continue to learn, continue to get better, at least you would hope. Uh, so I think that just because of the newness of everything, I think they do have a chance to be a second-half team. If you look at the first four games to start the season off, Atlanta, New Orleans, Seattle, Minnesota, we like to do the quarter thing. Mm -hmm. If you look at the quarterback and the front seven, the defensive line, right? The front seven is. You know what the defense is with that. What teams scare you most in both of those categories to start the year off when everybody is trying to figure some stuff out? And after the first quarter, we'll start to look and see, okay, this team has a real chance to make the postseason. They need to figure this and that out. But you get the idea. QB, front seven, both of those units that put the most fear in you. Well, when we look at the, the quarterback position, I'm going to go a little bit outside of the box here uh, with my selection. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to go a Desmond Ritter. And here's why. That is literally last on my list, so I'm excited yeah, to hear so what you're going to say. Yeah, so here's why. Because if he can play a little bit, if he's a solid quarterback, that's the last thing Carolina needs in their quest to seize the NFC South. Because you're talking about a team that offensively up front, you're talking about one of the better offensive lines in the league. Chris Lindstrom was the Lindstrom was the highest-rated football player, period, offensively for PFF last year. This is a for-real offensive line. Talk about Drake London out there on the edge, Kyle Pitts, the weapons, B. John Robinson, Algier, Cordell Patterson. So if Desmond Ritter can compliment these guys, not come in and, and hurt them when they have to drop back to pass the football, I think that he's the scariest because that means you got a real problem in the Atlanta Falcons, and this is going to be a team offensively that's going to be potent that has found that guy at quarterback. All right. I hear you. For me, I hear a lot of, I'm scared of that system because this is very much so don't let the quarterback lose the game for you and let the skill players make the QB better rather than let the QB make the skill players better. So I am more worried about a London, a Pitts, and all those guys you talked about. Plus, Arthur Smith runs the ball more than any other head coach or play caller out there. Wants to run the bleep out of the ball. And guess what? They got a first-round running back that is the best running back prospect we've seen since Saquon Barkley. I expect him to run heavy and then play off of that, which could be a real problem. But it's not the quarterback that scares me. It's the skill players. But I hear you. If he's competent, 
it's going to be tough offense to start uh, to stop. You got three like real fringe top half of the league guys that you have in the first quarter. So you have Derek Carr the second game, Geno Smith, who was the most improved player by far last year, breakout dude on the road, by the way, you face him in Seattle, and then Kirk Cousins. I find a lot of similarities with all of those guys. I find a lot. It's kind of funny that they're all in a row. So really take your pick. I think for me, man, Kirk Cousins, I just remember that overtime game, him throwing to KJ Osborne a couple of years ago. That's the one that speaks out. But it might even be Derek Carr. I think Chris Olave is going to be a monster this year. The guy showed out his rookie season. You have some weapons with Seattle for sure. On the road, it might be Geno. But it doesn't mean that Derek Carr is going to scare me more than everybody else the rest of the season. But Derek Carr, even with a good offensive line, they looked good in the preseason for that one drive. We'll see how it goes. They don't have Alvin Kamara, though. Yeah, that one's tough. I... I so you're going car for you. I'll go I'll go car, okay. but Geno Smith is also right there. Geno Smith was good last year, of course. All right, and then when we look at front sevens, well, of course, New Orleans has the best pedigree. This was a top 10 defense uh, last year. You talk about Cameron Jordan, what he represents, Brian Bassey, uh, what he's been flashing down there. Then you talk about Demario Davis uh, up the middle of that front seven. So uh, this is a unit. And then Grandison, he's capable uh, on the other edge as well. But I think out of the first four opponents that you go up against, that would be uh, the front seven that I would be worried about the most just because of what they represent, the consistency uh, of that defense. You know what you're going to get from a New Orleans defense. It's going to be tough. It's going to be physical, and they're going to make things hard on you. Yeah, Brian Flores is a new defensive coordinator in Minnesota. I like him a lot, but their passing defense was so bad last season. I need to see them improve before I have a ton of faith in them. Seattle, it's not the Legion of Boom there anymore. It is the offense that you think of as the strongest unit with that team. So I, I, even Atlanta, even with the improvement that they've made, this one's a lot easier for me. New Orleans is the team I think you go with. Quarterback was real hard because I think every single – you could come up with the rankings of the top 32 QBs in the NFL, and you very well might see Derek Carr, Geno Smith, Kirk Cousins in any order right beside each other. I think they're that kind of category. Defensively, not as hard for me. I think New Orleans is the easy answer. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I think that, too, when you look at it, because I, I as I said, I've always thought that pass defense or run defense uh, grades are can be a little bit skewed. So, yeah, I mean, as far as this team and last year, you talk about yards per game. They were second in uh, passing yards allowed. But overall, this is a team that was fifth in yards allowed, ninth in points allowed. So, yeah, I, I think it's easily normal. Yeah, they lose a lot of guys. I will say that, right? Like you're you're talking about. You know, a defensive line that loses uh, plenty of players that played 400 snaps. David Onyemata, Shai Tuttle, Kentavious Street, Marcus Davenport. You know, a lot of production to replace. So we'll see what happens up front. But notor- like I think historically, New Orleans has been that team that you worry about first and foremost. Let's go to the last Fitty Flash of the day. What you got, Fitty? It's all right to be little Fitty. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share, might as well smile. 
Some news that might impact the week one of the NFL slate. Commanders pass rusher Chase Young remains uncertain for the season opener. After he suffered a stinger in the preseason, he has not been medically cleared for contact. He has continued to practice despite the setback, although, of course, has not participated in full contact activities. He's done everything except when the team gets into pads. It might be a stretch to say he's the pass rushing equivalent of J.C. Horn, but this guy has all pro talent when he's on the field. The problem is, is well, he's on the field a whole lot. Can't get right, man. Old CGR, that's Chase Young. I'm ready for him to get back yeah. on the field. I thought this guy was going to be the second coming of Peppers, looked like when he came out of Ohio State. When you talk about just being a physical freak out there on the edge, but hopefully he can recover from this and get his career back on track with no hiccups. It's tough. I mean, again, defensive rookie of the year. It's not like he's a bust, right? He was good when he played in rookie, at least not a bust because of his ability. Mm-hmm. Very good when he was out there. Just can't stay out there. All right. That'll do it for some Carolina Panthers discussion. Let's go to the week that was on Friday. Not right now. I'm sorry. Let's go to the walk-off. <laughs> Lots of dubs, okay? Lots of dubs that we go you through. You scared here. me there, bud. Fiddy <laughs> yeah, yeah. has a, a couple of uh, highlights for you that he comes up with during the break. Next, Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Some ACC football action tonight. It's here, really. We had week zero. Rejoice! Do you guys, are you guys happy that week zero exists, or would you rather it just all happen? I'll take the football any way I can get it. I don't care if it's week negative zero, week negative five, negative ten, whatever it is, I'll take it. You know, Carolina played last year week zero. And, I mean, I think there's great benefit to it. I don't know if Carolina starts 9-1 without having that type of game to get their feet wet. But there's something about, like, all the games starting on Labor Day weekend. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like week zero. It's kind of like when baseball next year you have, like, the, the, the season opener five days before everyone actually plays. College basketball, they should do this if they went overseas. They had a game, like, the week before everybody else would get their season going. Just start them all on Labor Day weekend, man. What else do we have to do? The only thing that would save Week Zero is if you had a real matchup that everybody was gearing up for. Sure. So if you have a phenomenal matchup, then great. Let's let's do this thing. Every, all eyes will be on one football game, and then we'll get ready for the opening day type feel where everybody takes the field. 
But if you don't have that and you have Notre Dame taking on who they face week zero, it was Navy. Navy. I mean, remember one year Miami and Florida played week zero and that was like, okay, it was an eight o'clock vehicle. Like it made a lot of sense. But even then, it was just kind of like, because there weren't other games going on, it didn't feel like a college football game. Right. It didn't feel like a college football weekend, to be honest with you, last weekend. Nope. This one does. Oh, this yeah. one has all the makings for it. I mean, I'm I'm so here for every single one of the games that you have for week one. And it's an event that lasts you through a few days, too. So you're talking about tonight. Okay. Nice little appetizer. State UConn. Yeah, Wake Elon. Interesting game. Yeah. little appetizer. And then we get to Friday and really even Saturday, have an ACC matchup tomorrow, Georgia Tech, Louisville. I'm excited about that one. I'll watch that game. Oh, yeah. Yellow Jackets, Cardinals. Not much turnover at the head coaching position in the ACC this year. You do have it this in this game with Brom and Key taking over full control. So that'll be interesting. And then, of course, Saturday, self-explanatory the rest of the way. You know, maybe it's just because I'm a cultural ball junkie and, and I know Wes is too. Maybe he agrees. I don't know. I don't know if any sport has a better kickoff to its season than college football. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's always excitement, always good games to start the year off, so I agree with Fitty. And it lasts five days. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's it's a marathon of sorts, you know? So baseball has done this where they almost had their edition of Week Zero. They would, a week before, play a game in Japan. I remember in high school one time that me and my buddies, very into fantasy baseball, like hardcore sports nerds, okay? Staying up all night, getting ready to watch a game that I think the first pitch was at 4 a.m. our time. <laughs> and the games counted. So we were ready for it. And you have to wait a week. And then the real opening day arrives. And so baseball has had this type of thing, too. That's the only other one. Even with baseball taking a backseat in popularity to the masses for a while. I do like opening day of baseball. That feels like something significant. But I think college football is probably the answer. Yeah, I mean, because you get uh, a lot of shows, you get a lot of good preseason content from them as well. Like you look at even on the ACC network when they go around to all of the uh, schools for training camp or you look at uh, ESPN has good preseason content for college football as well. Then, like you said, the week zero matchups kind of whet your appetite. That's what happened for me last weekend. I did check out uh, the Notre Dame matchup. And then I did want to see USC, even though they were on the Pac-12 network. But you're right, not great matchups, but enough where you're excited uh, about the college football season. Well, and maybe we're not giving enough love to the NFL, which week one in the NFL is is big-time stuff. Oh, no it's, it's huge, right? So we should throw that in there. Here's the difference. I wonder if... Because so many different college football teams will try to schedule a meaningful opponent in week one. Oftentimes, you see the cupcake in week two. So knowing that we're about to get into the season, but week two is a less than opponent than what you have in week one, everybody's gearing up for that opening game. Where in the NFL, every game is important. So I wonder if the fact that they usually a lot of teams don't have a crazy week two game and that they sell out and you have the big time ranked matchup, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, knowing that South Carolina is going to face Furman in week two, North Carolina, even if it's App State, that's going to locally carry a lot of attention. But if they were to take on some other team, then it's not the same. So I wonder if the weakness in week two actually boost week one to 
punch you in the face and say, hey, pay attention to us right now because yeah. college football is here in a huge way. Yeah, man. So I just can't wait for uh, all the matchups, especially this weekend. ACC, man, you got some big ones, LSU, FSU. Then you got Clemson, Duke uh, on Monday. So it's, it's some great matchups. North Carolina, South Carolina. So the ACC is definitely uh, bringing it this week. All right, let's talk about tonight's games. Wake Forest, they will host Elon, and then NC State actually hits the road to take on UConn. 7 o'clock kick for Wake Forest, ACC Network, and UConn, NC State. That will be on CBS. What do you think happens in the Wake Forest Elon game? Uh, I think Wake Forest takes care of business. They come out, the offense puts up guarding numbers per usual, and I think they play well. They win the game by, I would say, I don't know exactly what the line is, but yeah. by four scores are better. Yeah, I mean, Fiddy, do you have any intrigue here with this one, or do you think Wake Forest just rolls over Elon? I mean, I think Wake Forest wins with the intrigue. It's like this is now Mitch Griffith's team. He started the season over last year, but we knew Sam Hartman was coming back. That's not happening, so how how much of command he has of this team and this offense will be interesting to see. Excited to see Griffiths. I believe in him a ton. There's I expect, no line on this game as of right now. Yeah, I expect him to hit the ground running. I expect Wake Forest to win big. I think NC State will win pretty handily. 14-point spread last time I looked. I think NC State will cover, even if it is on the road against UConn. But, Wes, as we discussed earlier, it's not like UConn has nothing they're dealing with. Returners on start, uh, uh, Returning starters, I should say, on defense offensively they can run i just don't have any faith in that passing game on the strength of nc state and this new offense with brendan armstrong and robert and i i'm gonna say that they cover this game and win by more than 14 i don't know that this is going to be a massive blowout but i think they win by more than 14 yeah this is the the marriage we're most excited to see about in the acc robert and i back with brendan armstrong i don't know if they come out guns blazing I do think they went to start what's going to be another successful year for Boren and Doran and Raleigh. Hmm. Don't forget, too, uh, Miami of Ohio plays Miami on Friday as yep. well. And uh, Miami of Ohio has already been talking trash. They hey, the said that they Miami. are the real Miami and that they're going to show them when I they play it. them. I love it. I mean, Middle Tennessee came in and got the Canes last year. So I think this has to uh, has the opportunity to be a doozy. Wally Zerbiak University. <laughs> they're the real Miami. I love every bit of it. That'll do it but for Wes and Walker. Won't. Wes and Walker, over and done with. we got some actual football games to talk about tomorrow. It'll be exciting. Make sure you join us. We will be with you from 12 to 3 p.m. Coming up next, it's the Kyle Bailey Show alongside Smoke Ludwig. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.